We are continuing through this Holy Rhythms sermon series that's begun the new year. What are the rhythms that anchor us in life with God and one another? And largely we've been using the passages that come from the Sunday lectionary. That's true today again. The passage from Micah and Matthew, they're both from today's lectionary. Today, however, the emphasis is less on rhythm and more on the gift of music and how it might help us hear the truth about our reality and, more importantly, our reality in God. It has been called the State of the Universe Address, this Sermon on the Mount. We read that Jesus is making this proclamation from a mountain, not unlike how Moses went up Mount Sinai. The parallel here is purposeful. Although unlike Moses, who stood while he proclaimed the Ten Commandments, did you hear what Jesus does? He's seated. Sitting during an act of public proclamation was an act reserved for a king. The sitting made clear that this is settled truth. This is the final word on reality. And here, in 2023 where information floods us from every direction and device, where news sources compete and contradict, where strange, mysterious algorithms take our searches this way or that. In a day and age where it can constantly feel like we're asking, who do we trust? What is true? What is real? We have one greater than Moses seated, declaring settled truth about what is real, what is true. And importantly, this passage, it's not in the imperative mood. It's not a to-do list of things we shouldn't do, we should do. No, 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 this passage is all in the indicative mood, meaning it really is, 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 is a description of reality. Timely. And the very first word, followed eight more times, you heard it, blessed. Blessed, the Greek word there has a semantic range that includes fortunate, happy, privileged. And if we're wondering who the fortunate are, who the happy are, who the privileged are, what makes for a fortunate, privileged state of life? Well, Jesus, you heard it again in the reading. We sung it together in that recent hymn. And I think pretty quickly we could all go line by line and give Jesus uh, clear reason why, why he's actually 100% wrong. Jesus, it's those who are full of spirit, uh, have spiritual and material resources. They're blessed, not those poor in spirit, not those who are poor, as Luke's gospel has this rendition. Uh, Jesus, it's those who are glad, those who are cheerful, those who haven't known the loss of of, of a close loved one. That's blessed, not those who are grieving. Jesus is those who are confident, those who are proud. Those, they're the ones that make things move and people listen to. Not the meek, not the overlooked, not the trampled upon. Jesus, it's those who are content, not those with an ache like thirst, an ache like hunger for a better way to be known. That's not blessed. Jesus, in this world, it's those who fight and push back that get ahead. That's how you make blessings happen, not the merciful. Jesus, in this world, it's those who make compromises, 
to get what they want, to get ahead. It's just what you got to do. It's not pie in the sky, pure in heart that's blessed. Jesus, honestly, it is those who harness the power of fear, who, who use their words to inflict violence, who hold the possibility of violence over people who use violence. That's people who move and shake and do things in this world. It's not the peacemakers who just keep getting run over. It's, it's those who, who are safely in their own little spot and nobody's bothering them. That's blessed, not being actively persecuted. I mean, line by line, this just doesn't work. It's like a piano chord where, where you've got two notes, blessed and mourning, and you play them together. You hear the dissonance? Blessed and poor, blessed and mourning, blessed and meek, blessed and persecuted. One after another, Jesus declares blessed some sort of hard human experience. The dissonance, we hear it immediately. I mean, what do you make of that? That, that, that this is somehow fundamental to how Jesus is proclaiming settled reality. A couple weeks ago, alongside Stephanie Mettler, our education director, I attended this presentation by Tara Thornton of the Isaiah 117 House, which is a ministry that provides physical and emotional support in a safe and loving home environment for children who've had to be removed from a home situation that's dangerous and are in that in-between awaiting placement with a foster family. It's a ministry that's in a host of states at this point. The chapter is just about to, to launch in Georgetown. And I was there listening to how the Georgetown chapter started. And, and like a lot of these kind of ministries, it starts with a story. And Tara Thornton, she <laughs> describes in her presentation, hearing this report a couple summers ago. I imagine some of you remember this. Where the Child Protective Services here in Texas uh, were rather overwhelmed, heartbreakingly so with the amount of cases where they were needing to take a child out of a broken, dangerous home situation. But, but the numbers are so overwhelming, the state's resources too limited, all the things, and there's, there's no place to put upwards of 200 and eventually 400 children a night. And so they, they use the CPS offices. Right? She talked about how you know, they're moving the furniture to the sides of the wall, the desks, scooting them over and creating a space and the middle of the office carpet area, and that would be home on what was then an average of about 18 nights before some kind of placement. And the woman, uh, Miss Thornton, talked about hearing this on the radio and, and having this, this visceral sense that something needed to be done, anything. And so she, she makes a trip to Walmart. She starts texting her, her friends, her neighbors, her church friends, and they find some blow-up mattresses, some blankets, sleeping bags, snacks, stuffed animals. I mean, anything that might suggest even a semblance of, of home in these impossible office spaces. Well, they start in doing this for a week or two, just trying to cover down on the, on the numbers. 
But that ends up turning into a whole summer and, and, and on into the fall with this ongoing reality. Not unlike some of you know the Presbyterian Disaster Assistant in our own denomination has been doing this kind of, of work to provide some semblance of human care and love to, to migrant children along the border. Well, these folks in Georgetown, they eventually stumble their way into a partnership with this Isaiah 117 house. And again, they're, they're, they're right now in the process of, of finding a final spot to build a literal house here in Georgetown that will be a one option for children to go to where they've needed to come from their home environment and haven't yet been placed with, with a foster family. Now, mindfully, it is not nearly the whole answer to, to such a painful situation. There, there's need for more mental health resources for youth and families alike. Better coordination but between some of our uh, child service agencies. Increasing support for, for biological family givers that are outside that home setting that's not safe. There's a need for more foster parents, which I know some of you in this room actively support with Presbyterian Children's uh, Homes and Services. The point is this, like many of the great challenges of our times, meeting the challenge involves multiple approaches. But what struck me on the morning of Miss Thornton's presentation was how many in the room beside me did not, and, and were very much already involved with, with some of this work, did not see themselves as saviors swooping in to make it all better. They were not naive. Nor even did they see themselves as, as people who, who could make a child feel better that day. Really, regardless of how each situation would or would not play out, it was just this profound sense that in this particularly fearful moment, they had to show up with love. They could not help but show up with some expression of tangible love. When Jesus declares blessed are, over all these different people that sure don't look blessed, people in hard places, Jesus is not saying, you know, it's a really great thing when your spirit's broken. <laughs> you ought to go find a reason to mourn. That's really a blessed thing. You ought to try mercy and get nowhere in the world. It's really a blessing. He's saying, no, those who are in those hard situations right now, that's the that's their reality, those in it, they're blessed because God cannot help but show up in those spaces. The God of the cross cannot help but go to the depths of impossible pain, hardship, broken situations. This, this, by definition, is who our God is. That is where God shows up. Blessed are those who are in hard spaces. That's where God cannot help but go. And listen to the specific way Jesus makes this promise in the Beatitudes. I think it's important for us to appreciate the very front of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the first line. That's the, the top frame. And then blessed are those who are persecuted. These lines frame these Beatitudes, right? And, and, and both of them end with the same promise. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs, right now, present tense. God is somehow, way breaking in, showing forth God's way. 
present tense frame. But the rest of the Beatitudes in between, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who are persecuted, the rest of them, did you catch it? They have a future promise. So for example, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness because they will be filled. The point is, Jesus is making clear that among the people who are in a hard situation, God's promise is both now and yet to be. Now and not yet. So what's that sound like? What's it like to hear a sound that that, that dissonant, blessed are the mourn, are those who mourn, is there, but hear it in light of this, this promise that, that Jesus does show up in the present, in the ache, and does promise also a future com comfort. What does that sound like? So notice how that chord still has the two notes that created the dissonance earlier. Which is to say, that original sound that made clear the hard reality of grief, of ache for another way, the hard reality of persecution, the original sound is still in that chord. I think that's really important for us to hear. The things that are breaking our spirit today, the, the, the things that are grieving our soul, causing us to ache for a better way in a certain situation or something out there, God makes no promise to sort of whisk all of that away or whisk us away from it. Or the humbleness, the mercy, the kindness we're trying to show and it just seems to be really hard and it actually seems to be making things harder and nothing's going anywhere. God makes no promise to suddenly show up and, 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 and make it smooth like it was never even an issue. With Jesus, the notes of hurt, the notes of hard, they're still there. But they're somehow transformed by the nearness of God. Much like Jesus has visible scars, even in his resurrected body. Here again, the more complex chord that Philip played. With that original dissonance, the hurt and the hard still there, but the new notes that, that are bringing a new sound. Hmm. Two things about that seventh chord. On one hand, it's, it's much more pleasing than the dissonance. There's a sense of, of, of goodness, some kind of uplift that's there. Because when Jesus shows up in the hard spaces, uh, those hard spaces remain hard, but, but, but somehow they're changed different, transformed. At the same time, let's hear it one more time. Can you hear as pleasing as that sound is, there's something incomplete about that chord. It's like a chord our ears tell us wants to be resolved. It wants to move to completion, much like scripture speaks of a day, not when just the, those who mourn are comforted, but the day when there shall be no more tears. Not just when the peacemakers know themselves blessed, but when there is no more war or, or division. 
In various places in Scripture, particularly the prophecy of, of Isaiah and the book of Revelation, we're given pictures of just glimpses of the resolution, complete joy, peace, satiation. And each week in our service of worship, we pray the Lord's Prayer, which has that petition. Make everything here on earth as it is in heaven. heaven, which is a prayer to resolve the chord. Here now as Philip plays that seventh chord that is better, that is changed, but it's aching for a resolution. And he moves it to a G chord. And we hear the sound of, of the fullness of justice and love and mercy made total. I wonder what weighs on our heart this morning, where the lack is real. I wonder where the grief is real. I wonder where the ache for, for, for a, a better way is real. I wonder where, where, where some of our are trying to do the ways of mercy are going nowhere. I wonder where the ways of trying to have an integrity seem foolish. I wonder where the places and people are that are on our heart who are actively persecuted. Which is to say, I wonder how we are naming some of the very real hard places of our reality. Locally, personally, society, globally. And as we think of the ones that are pressing upon our hearts, this passage, I think, invites the question, do we also hear the one who cannot help but show up in those kind of spaces? I mean, even faintly or just distantly, do we hear a note or two that is playing right alongside the hurt and the hard? Right in the midst of the heart stuff, maybe right from the Depths of the heart, hard stuff. Is there a note or two playing with the potential to change the tenor of the entire thing? 